The author Alvin Reed once said, movements have altered modern history because God moved in individual lives of people to make a difference in the world around them. Ideas that don't move people and inspire them to act have never changed individuals, let alone history. Movements are marked by compelling vision for a future based on a strong set of convictions. Movements require a sacrifice where individuals put the vision ahead of their own agendas and convenience. Movements are also culture changing and depend on culture making leaders to rise up. The world has set boundaries defined by what masses believe is possible and acceptable and what they believe is out of bounds. Forerunners of movements are those who dare to push against those boundaries to determine how resistant those constraints are to be made. The gospel of the kingdom seeks to change people and renew culture. Bottom line, Christianity is a movement, not an institution. As the ecclesia, we are called out. In this episode, we will begin the conversation on movements and we will have an interview with recording artist and worship leader, Matt Gilman. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. It's your boy, Sean. (laughs) That's my favorite guy. And I'm so excited for this episode because there's a powerful conversation that's going to happen with Matt Gilman. Get ready, y'all, because seriously, it's so deep. It's so rich, full of revelation. But before we dive into that conversation, Sean, guess what we just stepped into? Oh, you have to tell us. What did we just step into? Okay, December 1st, we began our sabbatical. Every single year, Sean and I take an annual sabbatical the month of December and it is a gift to our souls. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, the thing that rest does, boo, is rest provides fine tuning for our ability to hear God. And in the midst of a time in which there's so much chaos, so many voices, as we wait on going before the Lord, we just feel like God is going to reveal his purpose in a new way. So in answer to your question, I am so looking forward to this time of rest, relaxation, and be able to push the renew, refresh button. Amen. You and I both. It's just, it is that separated, you know, kind of, of time for us to be able to get away and just enjoy one another, enjoy Jesus and just rest, recoup and enjoy the holidays. For you, the month of December, what does that look like of what you want to do? Kind of rest and recharge. What is your favorite things about sabbatical? Sleeping in, <laughs> eating oatmeal with raisins in the morning. He eats that every day. I eat that every morning. <laughs> so that's I not love, unique to sabbatical. Yep. Uh, West Coast, we our weather is it's, it's a little brisk, but getting some bike rides in. Yep. Uh, I want to see some basketball Basketball games. I might even get the NBA pass for a month. Hey. That, that allows me to see all the different basketball yeah, games. Yeah, why not? In different cities. I only Load do it up. for one month. Definitely getting some extra time in prayer and the word. Yep. I've already started that. Just recentering, getting focused on Jesus uh, and those kind of things and, and eating good, but still exercising. But more than anything, just unplugging from having to kind of actively produce and just be that son. I want to put the same question to you, boo. What are you looking forward to most in this sabbatical oh, season? Oh, I am a Christmas person. So it's all things Christmas for me. It is Christmas movies. It is decorating the house for Christmas. All things cozy is literally the anthem of my life. I want everything to be cozy and warm and comfortable. So for me, not having a schedule, not being on planes and just kind of having a quietness the month of December is really life-giving to me. My parents are going to come down for a week, spend the holidays with us. That I literally is my favorite thing ever. And I think just seeing um, the beauty of all the decorations, like that is super life-giving to me. 
me. You know that about me. So that's like really fun. Of course, I'll have a baking day with my sister and my nieces. So for me, it's like all the Christmas stuff. It's so fun to me. Uh, But then in addition to that, you and I are really going to take some extended times of prayer, really listen to the Lord for for our personal lives, for the ministry, as we always lay it before his feet. And we're like, Jesus, we don't want to just reproduce 2022 as wonderful and as incredible as it was. What are you saying for 2023? And so I'm excited to just kind of dial in for you and I, for our ministry and just wait upon the Lord. So bring it on. And I just got to say, shout out to husband of the year award, December 1st, (laughs) my husband last April, he heard me make the statement because Andre Bocelli was going to be at the Chase Center and he was back doing a tour. He hasn't been back in over three years to the Bay Area. And I literally made the statement that would be literally on my bucket list to go see Andre Bocelli and my husband in that moment went and bought us the most incredible seats. And December 1st, the first day of our sabbatical, we went to the Chase Center and saw Andre Bocelli and it was incredible. I loved it. And the Chase Center in San Francisco, you guys, that's a pretty big and new, relatively new arena. And the guy was singing in in Italian or Latin in the beginning, (laughs) but he does have a phenomenal voice and he brought his daughter out. They sang some amazing Christmas carols. She was amazing. You could feel the anointing on it. And then I guess I found out from you, he's a believer. I guess he's going to be on TBN as well. They advertise that. And so it was, it was really cool, really different kind of vibe, you know, for Sean, for me, (laughs) you know, the, the opera kind of thing, but the instrumentation, the symphony, everybody was on point. It was really an amazing thing. I know he, he took one for the team. It's not necessarily his genre, but he certainly has a respect for it and a value for it. So I just was like, thank you so much for taking me. And he was all in and we got to dress up. It was so fun. So, and if you guys probably recognize it by now, keep your 100 tribe. We have a conference January 19th, 20th, and 21st of January. Momentum. We want a move. We've got some incredible speakers. We're bringing in some prophetic voices from literally all around the globe. Uh, it is going to be amazing. We have Tommy Ariomi. We have Emma Stark. We have Dr. Samuel Rodriguez. We have Deidre Greathouse. We have the guy we're going to be interviewing on this episode, Matt Gilman. Chris and I are going to be there, but we're believing God to absolutely show up and show off. There are conferences where the ins- uh, the goal is inspiration. We believe you'll be inspired, but our goal is encounter. Our goal is transformation. Our goal is a marking. Our goal is that in these elongated periods where we're going to worship, we're going to hear the word, we're going to have altar ministry, prophesy over people, we're going to go for it. We want you to have an encounter because we want you to be an encounter and carry back to where you're from. So mark it on your calendar. You can go to our website, www.seanandchristasmith.com and register today. Again, momentum. We want a move. With that being said, we hope you get yourself a seat and let's dive into this powerful conversation with Matt Gilman. Hey, keep it 100 Tribe. We are going to be blessed on this episode. Uh, We have my good friend, Matt Gilman, an amazing man of God, husband, father, worship leader. Uh, He has been involved in so many different stadium worship events, so many different hours of prayer, but he lives this. And this is my good friend, Matt. Matt, what's going on, bro? How's it going, Sean? Thank you so much for having me. So excited to to be with you guys and to be with you in a couple months, less than a couple months. Oh man, we are so fired up to have you here in the Bay Area. You've been out here to the Bay before though, right? A couple times. Um, This will be, I think, my third or fourth time out there. So, but yeah, we're excited to be out there. Oh man, all kind of people they're talking about, man, you're bringing in Matt Gilman, you're bringing in Matt Gilman. (laughs) I go, yes. And and that leads me to a story. We were talking about it before we jumped on. We we connected in 2017 of all places, Brazil, right? We were doing the Dunamis Conference for Teo Ayashi. But 2010, Lou Engel did the Call Sacramento. It was in like a baseball stadium. I don't know who they were affiliated 
affiliates for, but I remember seeing you and you were with like some of the band guys. I was with Will Ford and we were just talking revival and stuff like that. But we were talking about, I, at that point in time, I was like, oh my God, there is Matt Gilman because uh, <laughs> during the times of your years at IHOP, you guys had a student revival. And so I started tuning in more and I started catching you leading worship set. And immediately you were my favorite. I went, okay, I got to catch this guy. Of course, there's no schedule. You don't know when you're coming on or what. So I just constantly watched it. But uh, that was just so amazing to have been a connection. We're at the same place, same time. And then later on, Bill. Yeah, I know that and seven years later almost. But no, we go way back. We go way back 12 years, don't we? Come on, bro. <laughs> way back, way back. And Let's my go. understanding, help me with this. You have some roots in Minnesota. So you're like a Minnesota fan of some teams there, right? Yes, sir. I'm born in Minneapolis. I was, I was actually, funny story, my parents were actually walking in to the 1985 MLB All-Star Game at the Metrodome, downtown Minneapolis, when my mom went into labor with me. And so it was it was like a destiny thing. I am diehard Minnesota Vikings, Minnesota Twins, Timberwolves, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a Minnesota, I can never get my hopes up and we're never safe. The Vikings are good this year, but I know that something's going to happen in playoffs. It just, you know, it, it just happens every year. But yes, to answer your question, I am diehard Minnesota fan through and through. I, I love that, man. Uh, for years, <laughs> I, I, I was moaning underneath being a Bay Area growing up, uh, you know, the A's. <laughs> It's, it's been a minute since we could go back to the Bash Brothers. The Raiders abandoned us. And so I'm, I'm like NFL oh, homeless man. right now. Uh, 49ers <laughs> here, but I, I was born in Oakland, so Raiders. But my Warriors, my Warriors are getting you it You can't done. go wrong. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. You hey, Matt, I got I to gotta ask you this, man. We, yeah. uh, we, we love to get people on and ask their origin story because we yeah. just feel like, first of all, that significant encounter with Christ that set you on your journey of the pursuit of the one that reached out and loved you is so key as well as the fact that we believe that there's so many people that even as they hear other people's encounters, it makes them hungry to go deeper in the encounter. Maybe they have, or maybe some they have yet to have. So Matt, tell us, man, what was your initial most significant encounter, your origin story in the kingdom? Yeah. So I grew up, uh, my dad is a Lutheran pastor, actually, to this day, he's still um, pastor in the Lutheran church. He was ordained through Lutheran seminary the year I was born. Um, And so I grew up very conservative church. Uh, You know, we did all the liturgical expression, you know, and, you know, to be honest with you growing up, like, so I never had like the crazy, like radical conversion moment that a lot of people talk about. Um, I grew up in it. And so I, I grew up with, you know, and, you know, Lutheranism is very heavily um, seeped in prayer and meditation. And um, and so I kind of grew up in that. And I uh, just to be completely vulnerable with you guys, I, I grew up and thought it was the most boring thing on the planet. Like I grew up bored <laughs> out of my mind in church, you know, like, and I sat on the front row because of all the church politics. And, you know, we had to because we were the pastor's family and all. And, but I just remember growing up being so bored in church because, you know, I, I love the hymns now, but singing the hymns when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, it's like, this is so boring. And then like, you know, some of the prayers, you know, were written down in the bulletin. And I'm just like, this doesn't, there was something, I didn't know how to put words to it then, but it just felt so inauthentic. And I, looking back on it now, it really rooted me, gave me such a great theological foundation um, because I remember a lot of those things now, but in the moment, I just, rem- I just remember being bored out of my mind. But my parents um, were, um, filled with the Holy Spirit. My grandparents filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I remember when I was 14 years old, my dad brought this group. We were living in South Dakota at the time, small town, South Dakota. We had a small Lutheran church, about a hundred people. And um, my dad brought this group down from the Twin Cities called Lutheran Renewal. And um, they came down for a week. They spent a week at our little tiny church. I don't know why they would have come, but um, in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, but they came down for a week and just, they, they flipped the church upside down. Like they came and, you know, and they, they were real strategic. They came 
in. They started off like doing some of the hymns and then eventually started incorporating more of the more contemporary worship and then started incorporating the spirit and all of those things. And then um, I just remember on the last few days of their of their time with us, the Holy Spirit really started breaking up. People started being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I just remember standing in the back of the sanctuary going, I don't fully understand what's going on right now, but I know that one, I've read this in the Bible and two, for the first time in my life, I'm not bored in church. <laughs> and so I just remember going, I feel like, I feel like this is good. I feel like this is something for me. And so anyways, that weekend I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, receive my prayer language um, and just my, my world gets rocked and I just fall in love with the presence of God. And I remember, you know, throughout my high school days, you know, I would get together with my youth group sometimes that, you know, we lived right next door to the church. We lived in the parsonage right next door to the church. And so I had a key to the church and I would just go um, sometimes by myself, sometimes with my youth group. Um, and sometimes we'd open it up to the community just for just these like random nights of worship in the church. And um, we just got marked and we had, you know, gatherings at our high school that we that we hosted about, you know, just getting our kids in the high school baptized in the Holy Spirit and just to say yes to Jesus. And it was really a marking moment in my life. I mean, I was 14 years old, but I didn't even know I was worship leading and I just loved the presence of the Lord. And I and I thought I was musical. So I didn't even realize that what I was doing would end up being my, my occupation later in life is to, to, to actually go out and lead worship. But um, anyways, I fell in love with the presence of God. I remember coming home from school and I couldn't wait. To, it sounds funny now, but I couldn't wait to just go sit in my room and turn on worship music and just cry because I just, I, I just dreamed for hours, two or three hours in the, every afternoon. I would come home, I would sit in my room and I would just cry because the Holy Spirit would come and touch me. And, and I just, I fell in love with the presence of God. And so anyways, very long story short, I ended up getting acquainted with the Half Rare in Kansas City throughout my high school days. Um, went to several conferences and events with them and uh, ended up, I, I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to do six months at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. I'm going to do an internship down there. Um, and then my my goal, my 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 dream was to like, you know, become Jason Upton and record albums and do all and tour and all yes. those things. But the, the Lord had a little different plan for me. So I, I told the Lord, I'll be, I'm going to give you six months at the House of Prayer. And that six months very quickly turned into a decade. And um, just I, the encounters that I've had in the presence of the Lord in that prayer room, um, man, I could, I could talk for weeks on just how the Lord met me in that place and how I grew in prayer. You know, it's amazing. You think you're so vibrant in your prayer life when you're not forced to sit for 30 hours a week in a prayer room. <laughs> yes, you know, but yes. when, when you sit in a prayer room for 30 plus hours a week, you realize very quickly how mu- how little you have to say and how much you haven't cultivated a listening ear. And that was one thing that I learned a lot through my through my 10 years at the House of Prayer was that prayer is a two-way conversation. And it's not just a five-minute list that you give the Lord before dinner or before bedtime. It's actually a conversation that you learn to have with God and it, and it goes two ways. He actually speaks back to you. And, I love um, that. Yeah, it was really, really profound season in my life that really let made, me, yeah. Let me jump in. I want to back up, but I do want to hit this IHOP because I think that's so profound. Yeah. So you're you're amazing keyboardist, obviously amazing singer, worshiper. How did the keys or playing instruments or worship began? Did you, did they need you to do that for your youth group when you're back at Lutheran Church? If, if I recall, it was 14 yeah. when you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, like all of a sudden a whole nother realm opens up to you. Were yeah. you already at that time playing keys or like tell us how yeah. that happened? Yeah. So I, um, I've always been really musical. You know, I was singing, you know, much of the demise of my family constantly <laughs> throughout <laughs> my whole childhood. I just, I wouldn't shut up, honestly. I was constantly singing. In fact, I have very vivid memories. My sister and I shared an adjacent wall between our bedrooms. And I just remember her pounding on the wall and at night because I would sing myself to sleep every night. And she'd just be like, go to sleep. And, and I just, it was just in me. I, I sang constantly. Um, when I was eight years old, I started taking uh, classical piano lessons. Um, wow. And so I took 10 years of classical uh, piano training from eight to 18. Um, and then I, I was in, I was pretty much the epitome of like, 
like band geek, orchestra dork, like choir <laughs> nerd, all of those things, you know. Um, and so I was anything musical was, was for me. Like I, I entered into all of it, did all the choir competitions, band competitions, uh, piano competitions. And um, when I was 14, when that encounter happened, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, happened kind of simultaneously with the, the piano player from our church ended up retiring. And so um, my dad being the pastor goes, hey, um, we are kind of left in the lurch unless you want to help us out. Will you play the hymns with us on Sunday morning? And so um, that's kind of how I started. And then, you know, like like I said, I, I, I didn't love the hymns as a kid. So I, I asked my dad, and this was actually a really cool testimony too, just the partnership I got to have with my dad growing up in ministry was that, you know, we kind of got to move into, especially after that weekend where the Holy Spirit kind of touched our congregation, we, we got to kind of flow in ministry together and um, introducing some of the more um, contemporary worship. Um, and, you know, I think I, I've learned to flow a lot more in the Holy Spirit now in my, you know, it's been, man, I'm 37 now. So that's 23 years ago. It's hard to believe that. But um, but just learning how to flow in the Spirit when I was 14 years old under the direction of my dad was really, really kind of a special thing. And so that kind of gave me that foundation before I went to the house prayer, before I started worship leading there. I had that kind of secret place hidden season um, at our church in South Dakota. I love that, Matt. You know, here's a funniest thing. We actually have one other thing in common, you to a whole lot more than, than I do, is that uh, when I grew up inner city Oakland, down the street from where I live was a Lutheran church. Really? And there was an older gentleman there, Mr. Copeland. He said, okay. if I ever came to church, his wife didn't like football, but he had two season tickets to the Raiders. He said, oh, if I on. came to church on a home Sunday, I, I kind of needed to let him know. And he would, he'd put out feelers towards me. Uh, he would take me to church. Uh, he'd take me to the game. So of course, inner city kid, Dude. like I'm, 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 we have a busted TV. I'm, I'm lucky if I can watch the game on television. <laughs> so I'd, I'd go to this Lutheran That's church. Amazing. So my first time, and so up until I got saved, the majority of time I ever spent in a church was I, I could probably count, you know, over the years he, he, he kind of, so I don't know, maybe I was in 25 Lutheran church services, but wow. you know, that, that was significant. He, he couldn't take me to every home game because his wife would come. He had other friends, but he became, sure. became kind of a bit of a mentor. So totally. it was just, it was so, so funny. And man, it, and you just think of obviously the history of Lutherans, but anyway, full circle, you know, just a thought on that, you know, my wife, Krista, just really, really prophetic. She really feels like there is a new charismatic renewal that's going to happen. She says, she, she feels like the Lord spoke to her. The Holy Spirit is going to hit a lot of mainline denominations. And according to Joel mm-hmm. 2, you know, you could make an argument, which I'm a firm believer in it, that it's going to all be spirit, grace, spirit, touch, spirit filled at the end of the day. Like the Holy yes. Spirit's going to go Joel 2, all flesh, you know, and so that that is just so profound. So yeah. now, now let's fast forward. You, sure. you go to IHOP. You were going to originally just do less than a year. Uh, yeah. you, you're there. Two things. What caused you to stay after that initial, I think you might have begun to touch. And then you got to tell us about some of the, because uh, there's such a depth. The rest of us looking out, I've been there to IHOP and have been friends with Mike Bickle. My wife went and spent yeah. 30 days just in the prayer room. But you got to tell us just some things that stood out for you during that 10-year season. So what caused you to stay? And then what uh, in that 10-year span was a highlight or something that you know just marked you? Yeah. Yeah. So I got there in January 2004, and that was the beginning of my six months. And so I, I remember you know orientation day. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, Sean. I honestly, I honestly, and I and I wouldn't have said yes to it if I had known. And I feel I always tell people that Jesus tricked me into the into the prayer movement because there is no way that I would have said yes to it had I known what it was actually going to command of me or demand of me. And so I I get to um, the first day of my internship, we go through orientation, and they're telling me I'm going to spend 35 hours a week in a prayer room. And you know I you know I was angry because you know I <laughs> I I lived I I was the person in my high school like I was the kid in high school like the revivalist and ran 
the Bible studies and did the worship and all those things. So I had the reputation, but never, ever, ever had I dreamed of spending 30 plus hours a week in prayer. I loved music. I loved worship, but prayer still was a challenge for me. And so I just remember honestly just being angry about it because God, what am I going to do for 30 hours a week in this prayer room? And back then, you know, I, I love all those, like the music wasn't that good, you know, <laughs> like, and, and there's only, you know, in, in the context of 24 seven worship, you, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the house prayer, they started September 19th, 1999, and they've been going 24 seven ever since then. But in the context of 24 seven prayer, there are only so many worship songs. And so you hear the same song over and wow. over and over and over, multiple times a day, especially if it was like one of those songs that was really popular in the moment. Like there, I remember there were days where I said, God, if I hear how great is our God one more time, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> and so, no, but what honestly, what kept me there was I had a series of pretty significant encounters in the prayer room um, where the Lord met me and showed me just the significance of, of what we get to do in the place of prayer and how prayer isn't just a dear God bless me and help me do good on the test and help me get the girl and help me get the good grades and you know bless my dog and my grandma like it was it was so much <laughs> prayer so much more than like prayer actually I found my place my identity really as the, God says we're the government of God in the place of prayer that we actually wow. get to rule over things with in partnership with Jesus and I, I had this um, really specific encounter significant encounter in Psalm chapter 8 um, where the Lord just kind of spoke identity to me and um, told me about just what we get to do in the place of prayer and in, in this encounter I remember I was taken up and I was I was standing on this balcony in heaven and I was looking over all creation I remember I could see all every star every planet every you know how the galaxies would move and the colors and the sounds and the, the just the beauty of all creation I was looking out over creation and then behind me I felt this presence this bright warm pure terrifying presence behind wow. me and I knew that the father or Jesus was standing right behind me and I wanted to look at him but I knew that if I did I would die so glorious wow. and I just you know and here I am 18 years old little Lutheran boy from Minnesota South Dakota and I and I just I just began to cry out going God I don't I didn't even know this could happen I didn't know this was available to me I didn't like why did you bring me here why are you showing me all this like this doesn't happen to Lutherans like <laughs> like, <laughs> like what am I doing here why are you showing me this and the Lord so profoundly spoke to me and when he spoke to me it was like thunder it, 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 you know Psalm 29 says the God of glory thunder voice shakes the wilderness it shatters the cedar trees when he when he spoke it was like being in the middle of the loudest clap of thunder that I'd ever seen or felt before and it felt like it was coming around me and from within me at the same time and he said this and he said when you pray when you worship when you intercede when you do these things in my name you have authority to shift these things in the heaven as I'm looking out over all creation and he said it again when you pray when you worship when you intercede when you do these things in my name you have authority to shift these things in the heaven and so I, I didn't fully understand it in the moment but I just I just I go yes yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord and I, I blink I wake back up in the prayer room after this encounter and my Bible is miraculously open in front of me I don't know who put it there how it got there miraculously opened right in front of my face the Psalm chapter 8 and the first thing that I read in my Bible after coming out literally two seconds after I wake up from this encounter a verse that says when I consider your heaven the works of your fingers the moon and the stars which you've ordained what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit and so I just go Lord that is exactly what just happened I saw everything that you created I asked those same questions who am I why would you bring me here like why would you visit me and then David goes on to answer his own questions in Psalm chapter 8 he goes you've actually made man to be just a little lower than yourself a lot of translations say a little lower than the angel but the actual Hebrew translation there says Elohim which means God himself he's actually made us a little lower than himself and he's given us dominion over the works of his hand and and honestly that encounter just gave me so much purpose and so 
so much identity as not just a not just a Christian, but as an intercessor standing on the wall and in partnership with God. God did not have to do it that way. God could have run everything the way he wanted to by himself. It's not like he right. created us because he needed us, but what he desired when he created us was partnership with us. And and I think that is so significant and so beautiful that God would allow us into that partnership with him. When we pray, you know, when David came and played his heart before Saul, the demon, the demonic oppression would say, when we lift up our voices, even when we don't feel like it, when our emotions aren't in it, when, you know, when we're going through tough times, when we're going through good times, when we lift up our voices in worship and in prayer, we have no clue what's actually shifting in the atmosphere. And God actually told me, and he says it in Psalm 8, we have authority over galaxy when we pray. And how much more do we have authority over our church or our family or our the region that we're going after? And I just, you know, it gave me so much purpose and so much identity. So when I went into that prayer room from that moment on, I wasn't bored, but I actually stood as an intercessor on the wall in partnership with Jesus to govern creation. And uh, it, it was really uh, life-changing and impacting for me. Man, I am buzzing on the inside, Matt. I mean, seriously, bro, that encounter, that's so revolutionary. And I love the fact yeah. that you tied in the aspect of worship and intercession together and just that yeah. governmental. I kind of feel like as believers, I think we've forgotten, you know, our, our authority and our calling with God to legislate. I feel like there yeah. are aspects of the body of Christ we're awakening to that, but I think that there's a bit of a default and a bit of an abdication. And sometimes in the midst of it, and, and you know, you go here, you get people on either side, they're going to get kind of funny with you. But I think sometimes with the church, maybe some of the reasons why we've maybe gone the way of the politicization of the church is kind of thinking that it's through that alone. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying God, God uses, thank God for godly politics. Thanks God for uh, obviously chief justices that would vote right or protect the woman's yeah. life. But I think some of it too is to understand really the command control center it may not be the Pentagon or the White House, but it's really the prayer room. It's really Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people call by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. And and man, you also had a revelation of was it Revelation four? Is that something we're going to yeah. have? Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, and I will talk about it. We're having Matt <clears throat> Gilman out and his wife is going to join us uh, yes. for our momentum. We want to move in the Bay Area, and he's going to be one of the worship leaders there. But what he carries is just so incredible, and so we're super excited. If you haven't signed up, you can go regi- uh, re- register for this www.shawnandchristosmith.com. But you want to make this because we really believe it. We're, we're not posting it as some sort of event. Uh, we want a move that won't quit moving. And so tell us, what's this revelation, Matt, you've had with Revelation 4? Is that the correct? Uh, revelation, yeah. Revelation 4 and 5, the beauty realm of God. It's just, you know, I'm so thankful. To, I love the John has this encounter in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. And, you know, I've had encounters with God. I'm sure you've had encounters with God in your life. If you're not, if you're listening and you haven't had an encounter, I pray that over you right now. But what I love about John is that somewhere between um, Revelation chapter three and the beginning of Revelation chapter four, Jesus vanished from the scene. And John gets up from this encounter with God and he didn't say, wow, that was awesome and continue his day as a prisoner. John actually woke up from this encounter. He got up from this encounter and said, I have to have more. I have to have more. And so I love the first phrase of Revelation chapter four says, and then I looked. There was a searching fill in John's heart that was desperate because when you have an encounter, yes, it fills you to an extent, but it actually widens that gap in your heart. It increases, increases your capacity to receive more from God. And what I love about John in Revelation chapter four is the first thing he says after he already had this amazing encounter with God that so many of us, I think, would be would settle and be like, man, that was awesome. I'm good for the next one. You know, but right. John woke up from this amazing encounter with Jesus and he, he says, I looked, I was desperate for something more. And he goes, I looked 
look, and behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. And and so all of a sudden, instead of Jesus coming down and visiting John on his level, he reads this invitation from Jesus, that same voice that he heard in Revelation chapter one, saying, come up here. I'm going to show you things now from my perspective. And so John, come, he, he says, immediately I was in the spirit. Behold the throne. He sees the throne of God. Jasper lights, already a fire, uh, lightning, thunderings, and voices. He had blast mingled with fire, um, seven lamps, and, and just the whole beautiful scene, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 24 elders, white robe, golden crown, four living creatures, thick wings, covered with eyes all around and within. And he sees this whole, this whole beautiful vision. I'm so glad, one, that John, because the book of Revelation could have just been three chapters. And I just, <laughs> like, unless John would have looked, we wouldn't have gotten four through 22. And, and I just, I'm so encouraged by that. And also, I've always been struck. I, I first read through the entire book of Revelation when I was 18, when I got to the house prayer. And um, I was so struck, I couldn't get out. And I still can't get out of it, you know, almost 20 years later of just the reality that these four living creatures are still there. And they they aren't there with an electric shock collar on their neck. You know, like <laughs> if, they, if they get 50 yards away from the throne, they get shocked back. No, they're there because they want to be there. They're there because there is nothing more worth their time, their vision, their energy, their attention than actually giving their all and focusing on this one who is eternally fascinating. And 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 it says, they, you know, I, I said earlier about how bored I was with singing the same song, you know, how great is our God for the 15th time that day. And I'm just like, it's so easy for us in our human capacity to get bored with that sort of thing. But these four living creatures, the seraphim, have been singing the same song for billions of years and it has never gotten bored and it's never gotten old for them. And they've been singing this holy, holy, holy song. And it says they're, they're covered with eyes all around and within. It says they have six wings and their wings are covered with eyes on the front and on the back. They literally, even if they turn around, they can't look away from them. And I'm reminded also of when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, the lamp of your body is the eye. And if your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. And here's these four living creatures. We have two eyes. They're covered with thousands of eyes. And all they're doing from the moment they were created, from the moment they were caught up in God's mind and in his heart, they've been sitting before the throne, gazing upon unapproachable light. What's actually happening in their spirit, in, in their inner man, or in their, I don't know how you say that for an angel, but what's happening on the inside of them? And it, it just erupts in this glorious song of holy, holy, holy. And the word holy just means he's completely different, completely other than anything we've ever known or seen or experienced or felt or heard before in our lives. And I love that they have stayed there because God isn't one dimensional. God is constantly, here, how do I say it? We will never, ever, ever get to the end of God. In a billion years from this moment, we will not even have begun to scratch the surface of who he is. And that's what I love about the existence of the four living creatures is they live that example out is that they, even though they're experiencing this glorious presence from the throne on a day and night basis, they're staring at him day and night without rest. There's something in them, just like John felt at the beginning of Revelation chapter four, there's something in them that goes, I know that there's more. There. God, how deep can I go? How much more can I, how much closer can, can I get? How much more can I receive from you? And I just have this idea like where God shows off one facet of his glory to them and they built this up for a billion years singing, holy, holy, holy. And they get up and they, they compose themselves again. And then he just does it over and over and over and over an endless cycle of just complete fascination. And so that has been an example to me as a worship leader going, God, I don't see fully what they see right now. I believe it's available to me. I believe that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places and have access by the blood of Jesus right now. How much more can I get? And this, the last thing I want to do, Sean, is come into a worship set and just sing songs. The last thing I want to do is come in and just fill a time slot. I want to create an atmosphere as a worship leader where one, um, the Holy Spirit is present and two, it creates a conducive atmosphere for people to encounter God. And, and I don't ever 
ever want to just go, man, that was great. Let's recreate that moment that we had yesterday. That was yesterday's moment. And today there is a deeper place for us to go to because there's always continuously more of God to be discovered. And and he says um, he's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. If you actually set your heart to find out those deeper places, um, we all quote this verse, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has never entered into the heart of a man what God has in store. A lot of us stop too soon, but it says the spirit searches the deep things of God and he desires to make them known to us. We have that same Holy Spirit living inside of us who actually knows and searches out the depth, the deepest places of who God is. And he desires to make him known to us. And I want to tap into that. My friend, Corey Russell would say, if if your spirit is an ATM machine, you have access to a billion dollars a day, but so many of us are content with living off of 10 cents. You know, we have how much, how much would our lives change if we were actually accessing the billion dollars every day? And how much, how differently would we live if we were actually living in this place, a fullness of his glory, yet pursuing the deeper places beyond what we've experienced. And so when I come in, when I, when I lead worship, when Kelly and I come in, lead worship together, it's our heart cry just to go, yeah, we love the songs. We want to sing songs, <laughs> but also there's so much more than just singing songs. And there's, you know, creating the space for the Holy Spirit to just come and hover and to reveal what he wants to do rather than, you know, and so it, it's really fun to just kind of dance with God in the midst of those live worship moments, because sometimes, you know, we just get into these moments where we wait in silence. And sometimes we get into these really high, intense, militant phrase. And sometimes, you know, you know, miracles will break out, you know, just kind of depends on what God wants to do in the moment. But I, I've always modeled where I go as a worship leader after those four living creatures. They're there night and day, no rest, and they're always receiving more. And I just, I'm always asking God, how much more can I have? How much deeper can I go with you right now? In this Matt, man, I, that is, oh my God. I mean, first of all, that's fire, everything you're saying. And it's very true of you. My wife, Krista, one of the things that she talks about is she, she was the uh, stage manager at the call stadium, the one that was 7707, I think it was. It was 777 was in Nashville, I think. Nashville, that's right. It was in Nashville. Yeah. And so she said, you got up and began to play your song, Holy. And mm-hmm. in her words, for over an hour, you guys sang and the presence of the Lord filled the whole Nashville stadium. And I just think that doesn't happen if, Matt, you get up just to play a set. You get up, hey, you know, it's our moment. Come on, let's get on. And we're going to do our thing and drop this sound and, and walk yeah. off and be in the green room eating eating Chipotle. But if you totally. go in with that Revelation 4, I love that. People were caught up. And she describes it as probably one of the most powerful worship moments she's ever experienced in her life, wow. man. And so, wow. dude, I mean, what you're talking about is so profound. And it is that realm. We had a, a po- couple podcasts back. We were talking about holy passions. But this thing, uh, uh, and and obviously the paradigm of bridal affections. We had a, a friend of mine, Brian Guerin, on there that just was profound, yeah. the things he was sharing about. But I love to hear you hit on that. Why do you think that worship is so important for this emerging generation? We've got a lot of Gen Zs and millennials, probably our largest viewership, I guess if you'd call it that on a podcast, is with that age group. What, what, why do you think worship is particularly important to this emerging generation right now, where, where they're at and what they're eyeing in the nation of the world as it stands today? Worship is our highest calling. Worship is what we were created for in the first place. Again, God did not create us because he needed us. Um, he, he didn't create us because we could do something for him that he could not do for himself. He created us so that we w- he created us so that we could move his heart in worship. And it's again, it's the, it's the shifting from the four living creatures to the 24 elders. The 24 elders in Revelation chapter four sing their song in response, in agreement with the song the four living creatures are singing. It says, whenever the living creatures sing their song, it creates this response in the heart of the 24 elders. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created everything and it's by your will and it's for your pleasure that, that we exist and we're created. We were created for one purpose 
And that purpose transcends our influence. It transcends our occupation, how many friends we have, what, how much money we have, all of these things that we get so caught up in. Our highest calling, the reason we're walking and breathing on planet Earth right now is to bring pleasure to the heart of our creator. And that, and, and worship, worship is the avenue to do that. And, um, you know, and worship is beyond music. You know, worship, music is one expression of worship, but I think just a life surrendered, a, a life, you know, prayer is worship, giving giving God your attention, practicing his presence throughout the day, being attentive to the to the movements and the flow of the Holy Spirit throughout your day. It's all worship. God just wants partnership with us. God wants us to to commune with him, to fellowship with him, you know, even in, you know, whether you feel like it or not. And that's one thing that I learned a lot through my time at the house right too, is there are a lot of boring hours in the prayer room where I, I wish I was back on that mountain in my encounter looking over at the stars with God standing next to me. But there were moments where I didn't feel like it. But one thing I learned was that the, the worth of Jesus, the worth of the Father is never um, dependent on my current circumstance. It's never wavered based on how my emotions feel in the moment. <laughs> God is so much bigger than our emotions. But, you know, I think worship is important because it's our highest calling. It's why we're why we were created, why, why God made us was to be fascinated by him and to move his heart. Man, you know, I love that, to move his heart and be fascinated. And it really is true because if, if we don't, we don't release that worship towards God because it is innate in the human makeup, if you will, to worship, to be fascinated. Uh, we give that, and it's pretty evident, you can see it across our culture, is that we'll totally. give that to the created rather than the creator. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, that ends up betraying us if we give our affections, our adulation, our our worship to someone other than God himself. You know, because it it what you worship, obviously, you become like, you come under, you, 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 you receive a pipeline from. And so whenever we do that to something that's fallen, that impacts us. And obviously, you know, we're, we're in this moment and we, we recognize, and you know, this worshiper, uh, Satan himself was a worship leader, you know, totally. Lucifer, the anointed cherub. And he wanted to get all of the adulation and the worship himself. So he's booted out of heaven. And so he's still in this track of trying to pervert what true worship ought to be towards the throne, towards God, that thing that yeah. moves God's heart and that we're transformed because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So therefore in worship, you, you, you create the ecosystem for encounter. You create the ecosystem for transformation. And I think that there's so many in this generation, number one, they, they want a true encounter with God. You know, you talk to almost any young person. I've yet to talk to one. They're searching for some sort of experience. A thrill is not enough. Uh, a moment of sensual excitement is not enough. They, they want something transcendent. They want something supernatural. They want to touch and experience something. I think even the attraction in the whole MCU, which I've, I've, I've loved many of the movies myself. Anybody listen to the podcast, they'll hear me talk from time to time. But I think it's opening up where now they're going quantum realm. And now we're going over here in this verse and that verse. But there's this fascination and there's a realm of God. There's a realm of the spirit. There's a realm of splendor, you know, this divine fascination of God. And throughout my life, I think, uh, because I, I share how I had an encounter when I came to Christ. Jesus shows up in my dorm room the night before I was going to uh, kill myself. And wow. and that so tweaked me that it set me on this course where I wanted to know who God is. And so I love what you're saying. There could be somebody listening right now that they could be either in a, a desperate place or maybe their, their walk with God has become stale, but there is an open door. If we'll look like John, the revelator, and, and explore, there's there's more, there's more. And I love that because everything that we've experienced in the last two years has run out on us. We've seen things run out, you know, like gas prices are the way they are. I don't know. We probably have not run out of gas, but they're making us feel like it. We've run out of solutions. People have run out of resources. There's just a running out of patience, running out of love, you know, all these things. And yet there's some 
one that's in that's inexhaustible, you know, and all the things that we yeah. really need. And that's so true. What do you think uh, if you could go back, Matt, and you could talk to your 20 year old self, or obviously you're also directing it to young people, what advice would you say to yourself going back, knowing where you were as a 20 year old and where you're at now? What kind of advice would you give yourself or for that matter, would you give to a 20 year old coming up in this hour? Yeah, I would say um, let God promote you and demote you. <laughs> and they're, they're, let God do it. Don't pursue. And, and I'm not, not to say that you shouldn't, you know, achieve in your job or whatever your, your occupational status is, to, you know, ascend to that next level. But I just remember at 20 years old, my aspiration was so different than it is now. And I, I wanted notoriety. I wanted a level of fame. I wanted a level of, you know, I wanted money. I wanted all these things. And, and I just, and not that any of those desires are just innately terrible because I think we're created for greatness. God has created us and destined all of us for greatness on a certain level or to some degree. Um, but the one thing I've, I've learned um, over the last 20, 25 years is the beauty of being hidden and the beauty of resting in a place where maybe you don't have the number one hit song and maybe you don't have um, the fame that a lot of like a lot of my friends are like, you know, and I, you know, I had to deal with with a lot of that when one of my buddies wrote this amazing song and he gets, you know, all of this international fame and notoriety. And I just go, my, my, my first initial reaction to that was, God, why didn't you give that song to me? And and I think it's just the the, the natural state of our human existence is going, God, why, I want that. I want the great, I want the platform. I want the stage. I want the money. I want the influence. And and the be- I've learned that most of my history in God and most of my the places that God has spoken um, to me in the most profound ways are in places of hiddenness, in places of pain, in places of demotion, and in places of instilling humility in my heart. And, um, you know, and, you know, my friend Julie Meyer would call this the, fa- the Ferris wheel of favor. There are seasons where your favor goes up, but what goes up must come down. And and there are seasons where God will humble you on purpose. He will He will chasten you on purpose, but he's not chasing you as a punishment, chastening you because he loves you. And, and those seasons of loneliness or lowliness or humility or pain or tears or whatever you might be going through are actually a beautiful season. I've, I've experienced the presence of God much more in places of pain than I have in places of, of triumph in my life. And I wouldn't trade those seasons, you know, looking back on it now, I, <laughs> it's hard to wish for those seasons, but also I'm going, God, I felt you like you were really near to me when I, when my heart was broken. You were really close to me when I was going through one of those darkest, hardest seasons of my life. And um, I, I just let, let God dictate the seasons in your life and don't try to, how do I say that? Don't try to jump the gun on what God wants to do. He will promote you in his season. He does have a plan to do that, but he's also got so much more for you in a place of, of hiddenness. And um, that's, I think that's where a lot of those encounters and glory, glory moments in your battle. Matt, yeah. man, seriously, that might be one of the most profound things. Let God promote you or demote you. I, I remember early on, you know, the verse says, exaltation comes neither from the East nor West. God puts down another exalts one. And mm. I remember as a young believer, I felt like I was at a metaphorical or, or a, you know, fork in the road where I could have chosen a lot of young guys that were coming at my time. You know, they were aspiring to be the hot young evangelist or whatever. And I felt like in that point in time, the Lord put before me this choice. And I said, you know, Lord, I'll, I want to choose the path where you're on for me. You know, I want to go yeah. where you're going. And the Lord reminded me of that verse. It says, uh, an inheritance gained hurriedly in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. That we've wow. seen a lot of people, they kind of get really hot. And like, I love that Ferris wheel of favor, but because there wasn't a root system or wasn't grounded or their eyes weren't on Jesus, they were distracted, ended yeah. up being their undoing. And I, I see and, and talk to a lot of young people today. The, the thing is in their pain, they withdrew from God and they allowed the questions to spiral 
people. And in that questions, it, it spawned answers that they sought outside of God. But actually, your, your pain, I love what you're saying, Matt. Your pain is a portal to experience a greater intimacy. My greatest seasons of growth have been times of pain and, and heartbreak. I mean, I've, I, you know, people can kind of maybe look at you, Matt, and just think, oh man, you, you probably have experienced this perfect, awesome life. And, you know, they don't know the Gethsemane's behind. They see a couple, you know, mountaintops where they've caught you, you know, leading worship. They don't know behind the scenes, all these yeah. Gethsemane's. And I was just talking to someone yesterday and is an A.W. Tozier uh, thing in one of his books. And when I first read it, I threw the book across the room, but I went and picked it up and read it. <laughs> but he said, well, essentially, before God uses a man greatly, he must first crush him deeply. And wow. uh, I, as a young 20 year old, I did not want to hear that. But right. now at my age, I go, man, that, that that's, that's, you know, so profound, so true yeah. uh, that, that, that is the way that you embrace the cross. That's part of this whole process is yeah. that you embrace the cross that there's a fellowship of the sufferings and to the carnal mind or to the mind that's, that's uh, hooked up to a worldly thought process and value system. It's hard to value that, but that's why, you know, some people have termed it an upside down kingdom, but really we're in an upside down world. The kingdom is right side up. That's and, right. Uh, that's right. That's right. Well, and, and we live in this day and age when, you know, especially now, even within the church, we're in this whole like deconstruction zone where everyone's trying to deconstruct their faith and find out who am I? What is my significance? Like, what is my calling? Where can I go? What's my influence? When the actual, you, know, you get down to the nitty gritty of the gospel is deny who you are, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's not about who you are. God, yes, lay certain things in you into your spiritual DNA as a vessel of his glory, but it's never, ever been about who you are or who, you know, who we are as humanity. It's about denying our fleshly desires, taking up our cross and following Jesus and looking like Jesus. And so, yeah, I think I think we just need to flip the script a little bit in this generation. Come on, Matt. Hey, obviously you're going to be with us January 19th, 2021st yes. at Momentum. We need to move. And man, we're super, super excited. What what would you say? Is there anything that you're looking forward to as it relates to that or anything you could throw out there? Some people that are considering coming out. Any thoughts you got for that? Well, I'm personally excited just to hang with you. Um, <laughs> we're going to have a great time. Uh, no, it's honestly, I'm just looking at the, the lineup of the people that you brought in. Um, you know, I know Tommy Aroyami really well. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and also you and Krista. And um, I'm excited to hear Emma Stark. I'm just, you know, the yieldedness of all of those lives to hear the voice of God. I have so much acceptance to hear the hear the word of God that we and and to just sit under sit in the glory. And and one thing I think we have the same DNA is like my goal is just to get into the glory realm and stay there as long as we can. And you know, and if, if that means he blows up the schedule and <laughs> and we just sit in the glory, you know, I am I am in for that. So no, I think it's gonna be an amazing time just in the presence of the Lord. We're gonna hear the voice of God. We're gonna experience his presence together and we're gonna go to probably I, I'm expecting that we're gonna go to a deeper place in worship than I've ever experienced before. And you know, there's always more. So, uh, hey, we hundred percent agree with you. And we we said that we struggled. We didn't want to say it's a conference, but it's the metaphor paradigm phraseology nomenclature that we're familiar with. But we're saying we want encounter. And so I, I was saying to people, I, I do and have spoken at rah-rah conferences and it sounds like I'm being critical. I'm really not. I think we all need to be inspired. Sure. But we said, we're taking off all limits. And if God falls, you, exactly what you said, we want the glory. We want breakthrough. We want people to be sent back as, as brands plucked from the fire. Uh, our, our desire is that it would just be one unending encounter that we could walk in, recognize a new realm and walk in his lifestyle. So that's so good. Matt, how can we stay in contact with you? How could our followers, uh, we've got a, a podcast, God has breathed on this thing and, and there's a lot of listeners and a lot of people. So how can we follow you? Do you have any projects, something we support you on, something, resources? I know people
people. Your all, all of your worship that I've ever heard are, is super profound. But is there anything particular that you could share with our people? Um, on how to- yeah, well, I'm excited about something that's coming out early next year. Uh, we're releasing now. Uh, so the, I've been with the label out of Anaheim for the last several years called Influent Music. Um, we're releasing a project in the springtime, um, and we are really. It's called Long Live the King, and uh, it's uh, really. I'm really excited about it. It's one that you know really I think hits the DNA of who I am as a worship leader. Just a high praise, you know, um, you know, high exaltation of Jesus. Um, but yeah, so we've got. I've definitely got some music on any streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you guys do stream. Um, and then I'm also on social media, Matt Gilman Music on Instagram. Um, you can look up Matt Gilman on Facebook, and uh, we'd love to keep in touch with you guys on there as well. So yeah, so check out the music on your streaming platforms, and check me out on on Instagram as well. Okay. Matt, we can't wait to have you and Kelly with us, man. You are amazing, bro. Love your heart. I do recall our time in Brazil, man. It was so fiery. And I just think, fiery. hey, it's beyond coincidence. It's like Bill Justice, it's coincidence, the language of heaven, that we get a chance to, to connect together here in the yeah. Bay in my home area. And we, we're so Come looking on. forward to having you and Kelly, man. Love you, bro. You be Love blessed, you man. Yep, you too, my friend. Bye. All right, man. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. Did I not tell you? I told you guys. I told you. It was so powerful so deep. I love what Matt carries, the revelation and the encounters he's walked in. And it truly is lived out in his worship. And I'm so excited for what he's going to bring to momentum. Literally, there's nothing like being in the room with someone who ushers in throne room worship. That is so true. I actually, when I finished the interview, I actually went in my prayer room and went and had a serious quiet time, prayer time. I was so inspired, so moved. Keep 100, we're really going to have one takeaway from this episode because we wanted to bring that interview to you in its entirety and not split it up. And when I think of the one takeaway that I want you to walk away with, it's a quote from John R. Mott, who was the pioneer and architect of the student volunteer movement. And he says, the heroic appeal makes the heroic response more appealing. And so if I were to kind of translate that into our thought on momentums and movements, is that when it comes to movement, the more impossible, the more appealing. I believe as this generation, as you're listening, you want an appeal that's impossible. You don't want an easy little believism, a trite little kind of Christian experience. What you're hungering for is the more. What you're hungering for is something that isn't just an event, but it's something that moves towards an eventuality. What you want is not just a moment. What you want is a movement. And when it comes to movements, the more impossible, the more appealing. So here is the cause that I believe God is placing before us, that God wants to use your life to literally set geographies and hearts ablaze for the King, that we are in this end times. And what we need is a as a church, the ecclesia is not to be an institution, but to be a movement. And the ecclesia is not a building, it's a person, that's you. And so for you to embody a movement in this day, what it requires is the very thing that Matt talked about, is getting along with God, worshiping God, being consumed with God, making Him your holy obsession. And it's out of that divine fascination that something will move out of your heart and those around you will be moved upon by that movement in you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review and refer us to your friends and be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out, share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss our next episode as we are going to keep it 100. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation can change you. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 